Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools. We're here at noonday every Saturday uh, to defend and to promote public education. That is education which is public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it is public in access. Open enrolment for all children for all public schools. And uh, it should be public in ownership and control. Public-private partnerships is a no-no. And it should also be the only one that is publicly funded because it's the only one that is accountable. And our governments should be providing a first-rate public education for every child in this country. If they were doing so, we would not be here week after week talking about disadvantaged children or problems with our economy or what private schools are doing, uh, which cuts across, in fact, uh, proper democratic practices. Now, we also have a website, which is at www.adogs.info, www.adogs.info. Dot info. Simple, isn't it? And we have a press release almost every week. Our latest press release is press release 592, which you will find on our website. And it reads like this. Given that it's Easter, when will Christian churches avoid hypocrisy and promote open enrolment policy and universality, namely public education? In England... A broadly based group of Church of England clerics and laity are troubled by the abuse of their church school's admissions policy in favour of advantaged families. And in England, they are prepared to say this. Ultimately, the universality of the church is being turned to the advantage of those who are already disadvantaged. We believe this issue presents a slow-burning crisis. We urge the Church to review and then amend its national guidance on pupil admissions so that schools are guided towards having open admission arrangements. Church of England schools should look outwards as an expression of the warmth and generosity of its mission to the whole community. Ensuring this would achieve a more positive standing for the church in society and better serve local communities. 
And this was reported in The Guardian on the 1st of April. No, it's not an April Fool's Day one. It's fair dinkum. So our English brethren, Anglicans, are troubled that many oversubscribed church schools reject non-church-going families, even though the families may live near to the school. And a survey by the Sutton Trust in December 2013 showed that 6% of parents with a child at a state-funded school admitted to attending church services when they would not have otherwise done so so that their child could go to a church school. Listeners, we should here perhaps explain that England has an even more, a better policy than than Australia. Faith schools, as they are called there, that are state-funded, are expected to have open enrolment policies. This is not the case in Australia. Here in Australia, church schools, as we know only too well, pick and choose, and also get enormous amounts of both public and private funding to the detriment of our public systems. So it's a wee bit different in England. Not not that much better, but it is better concerning access. Now, considering that a quarter of pupil places in the state system are at faith schools and many faith schools in England do not reward church attendance because many show preference to both baptised or local children, the survey points to widespread abuse among those that do. Worryingly, among parents of socioeconomic group A, the level of false church attendance rose to 10%, and the socio-economic group A would be the most advantaged. Well, dogs suggest that the answer, of course, is to only provide public funding to schools which are open to all children and are public in purpose and outcome and are owned and controlled by the Public Education Department, answerable to a democratically elected government. So... Perhaps the Anglican Church in Australia could sharpen, or members of it, could sharpen their consciences this Easter tide and follow their English cousins. After all, they have done without state aid before in the 19th century when they supported the public system. They only yielded to temptation when they followed the Catholics into their spiritual wilderness in 1964 and took state aid on the Catholic system shirt tails. And we all know that since 1964, church attendance and uh, the number of genuine Christians in Australia has plummeted. Now the following, and we've listed them, is a list of the Church of England members who are promoting an open enrolment policy for state-funded schools in England. And they're very interesting indeed. They're led by a lay member of General Synod, who is a Christina Barron. But there's also a Simon Barrow, who's a co-director of Ecclesia, uh, Reverend Richard Bentley, Reverend Jeremy Chad, who's the vicar of St Chad's in Sunderland. Uh, there's several vicars. There's also Angela Harris from the House of Lords. Uh, there's a Savitri Hensman, who's a writer on Christian social ethics and theology. 
There are a number of theologians, anybody who reads their Bible, of course, can see that uh, Christianity is about um, helping the poor and universality. It's a universal religion. It's not about giving education to the wealthy and advantaged at all. Uh, so there's quite a few reverence here. There's a Barry Shearman MP, Lake Cannon, Wakefield Cathedral. There's a Professor Trevor Smith of the House of Lords. Uh, there's John Swallow, who's a former president of the National Association of Head Teachers. Uh, there's a rector of the parish of Aldington in Hove and the former chair of governors at a C of E state-funded school and associate priest and various others. So perhaps these people, these members of the Anglican Church in England, they are taking seriously the view of the 17th century philosopher Spinoza, who said this, A thing is called sacred and divine when it's designed for promoting piety, and it continues sacred so long as it is religiously used. But if the users cease to be pious, the thing ceases to be sacred. If it be turned to base uses, that which was formerly sacred becomes unclean and profane. So uh, those uh, people, or members of churches or religious groups in Australia who have, have uh, these schools which are for the advantaged and are not universal public schools, they could perhaps learn something from both the Anglicans in England who are troubled and Spinoza, who, by the way, was a Jewish heretic. Indeed. Thank you very much, Jean. You're listening to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. We've got straight into it today. Um, for those listeners who are regular listeners, you'll know that dogs is the defence of government schools. And Jean's been talking about issues from around the world, certainly what's going on with the Anglicans in England, as it relates to both the separation of religion from the state and indeed public education around the world. Now, there are many issues. Uh, we're going to go to America today and then back to Australia because Robert's got a lot of interesting stuff and I have too. Um, I see here, for example, where the um, Harvey, is it? The Harper, Ian Harper report, uh, which deals with competition, uh, wants, in fact, to privatise not just the public education system but the education department itself. He wants to see our education departments contracted out, holus bolus. And um, he says, no, this has got nothing to do with the private-public divide. Well, he must think we're oh, stupid. Oh, he must think we're stupid. He, I mean, it nearly was uh, contracted out by... Uh, Mr. Dixon, oh. who came in from the Catholic Education Office. So if they're going to contract it out privately, who are they going to contract it out to? Oh, they're going to contract it out like they've done the TAFE system, and that's been an absolute disaster here in Victoria. Yep. I mean, it's actually agreed now on, on, across all, all political spectrums and all in, interested individuals that the privatising out of the TAFE sector has been an absolute, well, not to put too far on the point of it, balls up. Well, he also thinks that this should be done for hospitals. So um, one just wonders about this, these strange uh, 
reports that are coming yeah. out of the Abbott government any and just form, what they're mm, trying to prove. Yeah. Any form of public service only works if it's firstly accountable, then effective, and thirdly efficient. If it's not accountable, if the minister responsible for it doesn't, doesn't resign if it stuffs up, then the whole, the whole point of democracy is, is just gone, 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 gone out the window. It's called corruption. Well, yes. Yes, indeed. So um, we're going now to America. Over in America, there's great concern about Pearson, the Pearson Group, that are making billions of dollars on standardised testing around the world. And uh, they are here uh, in Australia. But um, it's a private company that tests children until the children themselves have revolted. Well, and indeed. here is a little girl. Yeah, from... she's quite young, isn't she? Yeah. She's she's a fourth grader, so she's yeah. so she's got cottoned onto the fact that a test is not necessarily a knowledge itself. Yes, uh, here is a little girl addressing a big conference of, of boards of uh, governors of public schools in in America, and this is what the little girl herself has to say. You'll notice at the end that she was given a standing ovation. Oh, well, let's just have a listen. Hello, fellow members of the school board. Today I will express my concerns about the FSA testing. I consider myself a well-educated young lady. However, with FSA tests, my five years of school all on our own do not matter. This testing looks at me as a number. One test defines me as either a failure or a success through a numbered rubric. One test at the end of the year that the teacher or myself will not even see the grade until after the school year is already over. I do not feel that all this FSA testing is accurate to tell how successful I am. It doesn't take into account of all my knowledge and abilities, just a small percentage. Here are my concerns. First of all, I do not feel good about a board in the FSA that you have to send ensuring that you can't even discuss the test with your parents. I am not comfortable signing something like this. I have the right to talk to my parents about any and everything related to school and my education. Second, why am I being forced to take a test that hasn't even been testing on students here in Florida so happen to be accurate and valid on what I know? Why are we taking most of the year stressing and prepping for one test at the end of the year when we should be taking tests throughout the year that really measure our abilities. My opinion is that we should take a test at the beginning of the year, middle, and end of the school year to accurately measure what we know. Third, the stress and pressure that this testing puts on me, and I'm sure most students, is not healthy. Why should we have so much stress about one test when we should be learning and having fun in school? With all this testing in school, more fun things in school, such as recess, are being eliminated because of all the training for the test. So, ladies and gentlemen the school board, I urge you to put a stop to high-stakes testing today. It is not good for the schools, teachers, and students. Parents and students, contact your governor. Put a stop to all the standardized testing. Thank you so much for your time. Well, out of the mouth of babes, that little girl was called Sydney Smoot and she was at a Florida school board meeting voicing her concerns about standardised testing that she believes unfairly judges students. When she took her turn at the podium 
As you heard, by the end of her little speech, the entire audience leapt to their feet in applause. She was suggesting, as you just heard, changes, and she railed against a provision she was asked to sign, saying that she wasn't allowed to discuss the test with her parents. She suggested that tests be administered throughout the year instead of once at the end of the year. One test defines me as either a failure or success through a numbered rubric, she said. And that test score is not revealed until after that school year is over, according to the little girl. She also concerned about the form in the test requiring students to refrain from talking about the test to her parents. I think that is what upset her perhaps the most. And uh, we talk here an awful lot about parental choice when we're talking about education, but it's good to hear a little girl from grade four, a little girl who is up with all of the problems. Now, America has got a lot of discussion about what's happening in education. If you go to Diana Ravitch's blog, uh, the people in New York are very concerned about the privatisation of education there. They're more concerned about charter schools than they are about faith schools, but the voucher system is also on the back burner in the United States. So it's good to keep up with what's going on overseas since our educators insist on making the mistakes of the United States and Great Britain after they've been made and they are on the way to improving them. And of course what has happened in Chile is of great interest to us because Pinochet and Thatcher privatised the system in Chile in the 80s in much the same way as the privatisation started here in Australia. Remember Mrs Thatcher? She told us that society no longer existed. Well, Chile has revolted too, and they are back to withdrawing funding from private schools. And thanks to David Zingmier from Monash, he has kept us informed of this, and we informed you last week in our press release 591, which is on our website at www.adogs.info. But that's enough from me for the moment. I'll hand you over now to Robert, who's got some very interesting material from Australia itself. Thank you very much, Jane. Now, this whole question of Chile and Australia and the links between the education systems of those two countries aren't direct in terms of international cooperation, but they are very, very close in terms of what Chile does in terms of the way its money gets spent on education and what Australia does in the way taxpayers' money gets spent on education. For those people that weren't listening last week, um, Jean very clearly outlined exactly what David said, um, who's an academic at Monash. He's a senior lecturer at the Faculty of Education there at Monash University. He's also just coincidentally been very heavily involved in the Fairness in Religions in Schools program. But here, um, as Jean quite rightly pointed out, he said that the process of funding education in Chile has now been turned on its head because they are now attempting to pull back the privatised influences of education which have functionally destroyed the education system of that country over a number of decades since they were put in place by Augusto Pinochet back in the 80s. But it's a little more complicated than that 
David does come to the conclusion, I would, I would have to say in this article, that his point of view is the same. It is so indistinguishable from the point of view of us here at the Defence of Government Schools. For us, it's astounding. We've been here on this radio station for decade after decade saying the same thing, never really changing. Very simple. Taxpayers' money, people's money, should go to an education system to educate people without fear or favour. It should go to educate people while giving offence to none in a system that's free, in a system that's compulsory, and a system that gives offence to none. And indeed, that it is secular. It doesn't involve any sort of religious proclivities whatsoever. And universal. And indeed universal. Um, and David's pretty much saying the same thing. So it's very interesting how things change. But I'd like to, before we get to um, educational issues in Australia, give perhaps a little bit more in-depth um, investigation about what is actually happening in Chile. David uh, Zinjia is talking about things becoming more and more nationalised, but that's not exactly what's happening. Because Emily Achtenberg wrote in a very interesting article on March the 10th um, in The Independent, um, which is a website, a very interesting website that deals with lots of education issues. Just to give you the perspective, um, Emily is in fact um, an urban planner. And she she's actually publishes with the Independent and the NACLA. She's an urban planner and author of, author of the NACLA's Rebel Currents blog, and she's been covering Latin American social movements and progressive governments um, for decades now. And her analysis of what's going on in Chile is very interesting. In late January of this year, the Chilean president, Michelle Bachelet, signed into law the most significant educational reform in that country for the last thirty years. In Chile, they've gone where we need to go because they've enacted a law after eight-month legislative battle, gradually banned profits, tuition fees and selective admission practices in privately owned primary and secondary schools that receive state subsidies. Now, this long-awaited election reform has happened over many years of students and teachers and parents rioting in the streets. Now, this, of course, has also been preceded by a corporate tax increase that will increase, that will raise, I should say, about $8 billion annually for education and other social programs and address the key promise made by Bachelet and her centre-left New Majority Coalition during the election campaign in 2013. It's been widely hailed as a major step towards dismantling the market-based and socio-economically segregated education system, which was a legacy of the Pinochet dictatorship. Now, I would actually pause and not talk about Chile here, I'd just like to pause and say in Australia we have a market-based and socio-economically segregated education system. But ours wasn't introduced by a dictator. Ours, <laughs> ours was actually introduced in large part by Gough Whitlam, which is all rather interesting, at around about the same time, truth to tell. Anyway. But it was also exacerbated by Mr Howard with his so-called SES oh, oh, plan. Since, yep. since 2001, the whole thing's just gone ridiculous. In fact, oh. we're, we're, we're well on the way. If, if we were in Chile, there'd be a revolution. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not. We're not in Australia. Oh. As Jean often says, we don't, we don't have revolutions here. But we do have our ways of dealing with these problems. We do. And we did have a Eureka once. Yeah, stick around, yeah, stick around. Indeed, indeed. Mm -hmm. Well, you've got a Eureka medal. You can go on a demonstration and wave it at people to encourage them. But when this happened in Chile, there was indeed some quite galvanised and strong opposition from the conservative sector because the, whenever you have anything like this, this sort of institutionalised educational corruption, there are people that benefit, and those people that benefit will certainly push back if you're going to try and reform. 
but the dissenters actually also come from less expected quarters, and the highly organised Chilean student movement are actually not happy as well. And they said, this is not actually the reform we mobilised for, and proclaimed at the University of Chile Student Federation, which spearheaded the massive 2011-13 demonstrations and riots that actually catalysed the popular demands for the education reform in the first place. They say, or Gabriel Boric says, who is their spokesperson, we have wasted an historic opportunity for education reform, but also deeply damaged our democracy. So why are the students upset about these reforms going through? Because as David said, as we pointed out last week, this is, this is all wonderful. It's all sort of renationalizing. But as always, the devil is in the detail. To actually appreciate these surprisingly dissident perspectives, the new education reforms have to be viewed in a broader historical context, says Emily Achtenberg. The wholesale conversion of Chile's system to a universal free public education to be privatised, deregulated, demand-driven scheme which began under Pinochet was consolidated by subsequent democratic regimes. At the primary and secondary level, public schools have been systematically undermined over the years by a municipalisation strategy. Now, I think I've heard that before. That means independent public schools. You get rid of the departments, you break them into small bits. They call it municipalisation in Chile. Here we have independent public schools of Christopher Pine. Oh, no, but this has been going on since the 1980s. We also called it decentralisation. Remember how for about five decades now that centralised education department has been a huge big bogey. Um, and what, of course, has happened is that it's been undermined and taken over from on top by people who send their children to private schools. I doubt there would be too many people up in Treasury Place these days who are committed in word and deed to the public education system. Well, what happened in Chile? What happened yep. in Chile when they did this decentralisation is, is what you would expect to happen, mm. which is not good. Because what it happens is it generates widely disparate funding levels between jurisdictions, between mm. in what we call Australia, suburbs, of the city and the country, mm. and depending on mm. what postcode you're in. And also the creation of private schools that compete with public ones for state voucher subsidies. Mm. And in, in the end, Gonski is just a voucher system. So if Gonski doesn't solve this problem... Certainly not. Now today, as the resource-starved public schools continue to decline in quality, only 37% of Chilean students are enrolled in public schools, which was down from 80% in the 1980s. Oh, well, we're shift, on the way to that. Uh, we're, we're getting towards that too. This is like looking into the future, isn't it, Jean? Oh, yes. I often say that. Um, look, for most for-profit subsidised schools also charge tuition and select and retain students based on their socioeconomic status they select and retain them on their test scores and performance as well. Again, just like Australia. As a result, each student boy, each, sorry, each student buys the education that he or she can afford. And 44% of students, largely from poor neighbourhoods and villages, do not complete high school. Sounds a bit like Australia. User pays. Mm. I think the thing that upset me the most about that quite extraordinary Q&A last week was that nobody stood up and said, does anybody in Australia still believe that a child has a right to a free education which their parents pay for through taxes? I thought we had the GST 
imposed upon us so that we could give free education to every child and free health to every person in this country. I thought that was what that tax was for. But nobody, nobody was prepared to actually articulate this very basic right. Now, the problem that's happening in Chile with these lauded reforms, which are certainly going in the right direction. The reason the students who were out on the streets for all those years have problems with this is very simple. Now, while the reforms seek to decommodify privatised primary and secondary education, they're actually aimed at just one portion of this repressive system. They require owners of for-profit elementary and high schools to convert to non-profit status and to admit students by lottery instead of discriminatory selection. Now, that's not a bad start. Now, tuition fees will be gradually replaced by increased state subsidies. Now, students say the reforms actually don't go far enough and may fall short even if meeting their stated objectives. The reason is they point to loopholes. Now, the loopholes will allow what they call in Chile flagship schools... Mm-hmm. to maintain selective admissions for up to 30% of their enrolment. Mm-hmm. Non-profit schools can also rain, retain transitional leasing arrangements with for-profit landlords, legitimising continued profits within the primary and secondary education system through the same subterfuges which are used by private universities. The law, students note, also authorises new forms of profit-taking, through state-guaranteed loans to finance the sale of for-profit schools to non-profit operators at their subsidised market value. Now we're talking serious loopholes and serious money. Mm. An earlier proposal allowed the state to purchase these properties was scrapped due to pressure from the Catholic Church in Chile, which owns a significant number of schools. Well, here in Australia, we're pushing up against the Catholic Church to try and get a free, fair and universal education system. Seems to me the same education is pushing back in all around the world. The provision responds in part to a scare campaign, which is actually mounted by the bill's conservative opponents, who incited parents by raising the spectre of massive private schools closing in response to the ban on profits. Well, one newspaper indeed posted in December last year in part said... Private subsidised schools for sale. 2,000 students, excellent infrastructure, good parents, good teachers, blah, blah, blah. Now, the students who were out on the streets for all those years also criticised these reforms for failing to restructure the decimated municipal public school system. They're not improving teacher training and salaries and quality control of schools is not changing. And, in fact, they're not addressing their key demand for free and universal higher education. Blanchet has promised additional legislation this year to deal with these issues, but that's yet to come. But more fundamentally, the student movement, and Gabriel Boric, who represents them, argues that the reforms passed and contemplated to date do not break with the logic of the neoliberal education system and may even serve to reinforce it by enshrining the voucher system. They contend the reforms will continue the competition for enrolment and resources between public and private schools that has destroyed quality public education. And I'm going to finish there because I think that sentence just sums it up. I'm going to say it again. Because they, the reforms do not break the logic of the neoliberal education systems and processes because these laws enshrine the voucher system, which will 
will continue the competition for enrolment and resources between public and private. And that is in fact the key to the problem here in Australia, as it is the key to the problem in Chile. And things will not get significantly better, truth to tell, until they address the whole basic problem of if you wish to educate the children of a nation, every child given an equal opportunity, independent of how rich their parents are, independent of what religion they and their culture or whatever it is comes from, every student needs to have access to a free, fair, universal education system, which is not prejudiced by any form of values, certainly not neoliberal ones and certainly not religious ones. Well, thank you, Robert. Um, I believe you've got some other very interesting material. Mr. Pine has been. Oh, Mr. Uh, Pine, yes. Mr. Pine has been treading where angels. <laughs> Mr. Pine, I mean, in my opinion, sitting here on the Defence of Government Schools program, Mr. Pine has made a very serious strategic error, and I'll be highlighting why I think this is the case after these interesting messages. 3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. Just 25 bucks each. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. I'm so excited and I just can't hide it. Hey Jodie, I'm so excited, I just can't hide it. Oh, just in the words of the Pointer Sisters, hey? Why? What's happening? The new 3CR t-shirts are coming out. We had a competition, Kate Reid won it and it's so beautiful. It's got roses and a love heart, and then the caption is, resistance is fertile. Oh, too deadly that, eh? So in order to get one, go to the 3CR website and follow the link to shop, and they're $30. $30? Oh, what a bargain. And $25 for kids. You'll be able to secure one for yourself because they're in hot demand. Yay, get one now. Great Voices CDs on 3CR. These CDs are a unique collection. Now you can go to 3cr.org.au and you can order online all the 20 CDs, 15 issues, for $190 postage pay. Or check the individual issues and read each track on it. Every major singer is on there. You'll be excited and entranced. Go to 3cr.org.au now and check out the wonderful Great Voices CDs. Yes, thanks to Jean. We've been getting education news from the United States that's relevant to Australia and, of course, an in-depth analysis of what's going on in Chile at the moment in terms of them trying to push back on the privatised neoliberal education agenda that that country has had since the, the days of General Pinochet, that famous dictator.
But back here in Australia, there's something very interesting. I mean, uh, Jean, or I mentioned Christopher Pine, the Federal Education Minister. He has ventured where angels fear to tread. There's been a couple of very interesting things happening in religious schools here in Melbourne lately. Not South America, not, not North America, but here in Melbourne. Firstly, a little while ago, there was a very interesting talk given at a local Catholic school in the north of Melbourne. A priest came in and gave a talk, and, and he was discussing about a young girl having been murdered by mm. a, a, a terrible man who actually handed him in several days, handed himself in several days later because he'd, he'd, he'd killed someone in a park. And the solution, according to this Catholic priest, he was telling the students at the school, the solution is if that particular woman had been more godly, she wouldn't have been walking in the park at that hour in the first place. Blame the victim. I found that extraordinary. That's the sort of values that were, I, I think it's just offensive. Very offensive. I, I just think it's deeply offensive. Um, <laughs> I, I have nothing more to say to that. You cannot go around blaming people for walking in parks for getting themselves killed because, because I, I just don't understand it. And trying to bring God into the whole situation, and if she'd been more godly, then she'd still be alive. I, I, I find that offensive at all sorts it's of It's very ways. dangerous for any priest to play God. Well, it's very, very dangerous. For, 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 well, anyway, that's what's happening in a state-subsidised school in the north of Melbourne. And Christopher Pine had nothing to say about that as the Federal Education Minister. He wasn't very interested in that. But a little while later, something else happened, not in a, a Catholic school in the north of Melbourne, but indeed a Muslim school. Because the Federal Edu- Education Minister, Christopher Pine, has asked the principal of the Al-Taqwa College in the north of Melbourne to explain why he's told the students at his school that the Islamic State was a Western plot. Now, the move comes as the former teacher of the school and said um, Principal Omar Haluk also told students that Israel did not exist and that Jews were horrible people. This is from an article by Henrietta Cook in The Age, published um, on April 1st. And just because it's published on April 1st doesn't necessarily mean it's an April Fool's joke. I'm, I'm, I'm unhappy to say. I'd like to be laugh, laughing at this, but I'm not. And now, uh, it is worth pointing out that this school, Al-Taqwa, is um, funded by us. I'm, I'm, I'm paying for this. You're paying for this if you pay taxes. Something like $15 million a year, isn't it? I think or, it is. Oh, well, at we'll, least. We'll get to that. I, I think it's at least that. It's a, it's a vast amount of money. It's very difficult to tell how much they're getting um, at the moment because they haven't kept their records up to date. But Mr Pine, our Federal Education Minister, and this is where I think he's made a strategic mistake, he, like I, condemned the principle. It's a controversial statement, which he made on Wednesday last, and said that he, as the minister, will write to Al-Takra, which is the largest Islamic school in Victoria, seeking an explanation. Well, I don't often say this, but I kind of agree with Christopher Pine. Going around telling kids that sort of stuff in a, in a, in a taxpayer-funded school does need an explanation. But who told uh, the, the media in the first place, I wonder? Somebody must, from within the school must have complained. It's always the way, isn't it? Yeah. Mr Pine, by the way, is, because he's Mr Pine, he has to politicise it. He's also writing to the Victorian Education Minister, James Molino, to ask what action the Education Department is taking. Uh, he who pays the piper calls the tune mm. in the end. I think that actually is what these religious schools should remember. Indeed. If they want to stay genuinely independent. Yeah, I mean, to quote Mr Pine, he says, the, the comments of the Altaqua College principal are wrong and damaging. And if they, are, if they are as reported, then I, again, agree with Mr Pine. Now, Ajit Summers, 
um, was a teacher at the school in 2001 and mentioned that the principal, Mr Halleck, had shockingly anti-Semitic views. And this teacher, Ajit Summers, is willing to back this up with evidence. He said the principal came into his class and set an assignment into his class and set an assignment in which students had to research a country of their choice. When the principal discovered that one of the students in this class had chosen to research Israel, the principal became furious. He said, this is the principal, there is no such thing as Israel, and how can you dare even say the word Israel? He said, Jews are horrible people. Now, after the principal had left the room and had said this, Mr. Summers told his students Israel did exist and was a member of the United Nations. Now, a number of former Al-Taqwa teachers have also raised concerns about the principal's views following revelations by Fairfax Media just a little while ago that he told students not to join Islamic State because it was a plot by Western countries, specifically the United States and Israel. As he said, he went on to say that he believed the IS is just a whole made-up scheme which has been put together by the United States, probably the CIA and Israel. Now, this is a principal in a high school in Melbourne. Not, 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 not some crazy place or anywhere else, it's just here. Now, other information, as Jean so often quite rightly says, uh, these things tend to fall apart from the inside out. Another former teacher at a different school, the Trugiana School in Melbourne's Outer West, who did not wish to be named, said teachers who were not Muslim in that school were treated as second-class citizens. The teacher said she was told off by the principal after she drew a star on a whiteboard to reward good work. He said, that is a Jew symbol. If you do it again, I will kick you out. But back to the Altaqwa College, Mr Halak has been called to a meeting with state government officials to explain why he told the students that IS was a plot by the West. Now, state government officials will meet with the college after the school holidays to develop a program of cross-cultural understanding. Mr Minlino earlier said that this week the principal's comments were a, a real concern. The comments made actually have no place in our schools, um, according to Henrietta Cook, and I would have to agree with her. Um, but Mr Molino also says this. He says the comments made have no place in our school, and we look forward to working with the school community to address the issue. Robert, can we put this in context? I can remember back in the Vietnam War days, um, and I think that there is a member of 3CR who can tell very interesting stories about the kind of propaganda that was being promoted in some schools around Melbourne uh, by Christian Brothers and others, and also members of the DLP who would go into schools and tell children about the yellow hordes that were coming down to Australia. And I think uh, one of the members of 3CR tells the story about how every time they got this lecture, uh, he he used to get up and ask what date exactly were they going to arrive. And nobody ever complained about this. There were also... Um, in the 70s and in the 80s also in, in, uh, in Melbourne, uh, priests and others who were involved in what could only be regarded as quite hateful activity 
against Serbs when there was a problem when Yugoslavia collapsed. And nothing was done about this either. There were no complaints that were taken up by any Minister for Education. And yet here we have not just... um, and, and education is a state function, not a federal function. We have a federal minister who is blowing this uh, complaint, because it is a complaint, uh, up into, the, um, into some kind of, I think, well, it's just being blown up out of proportion. Uh, yes, perhaps it should be dealt with. Yes, it should be dealt with. But it shouldn't be... Um, Dealt with in this manner, I don't think. Uh, There are curriculums that are supposed to be uh, required and there should be an inspector that goes into these schools and informs people about what is acceptable and not acceptable in the Australian context, particularly if a school is state-funded. But there is none of this at the moment and Christopher Pine has taken it upon himself to not only be the funding person but also the inspector and I'm not sure that he is an expert in educational matters. Uh, There should in fact be protocols. Otherwise, if people want to teach these kind of things in their schools, then they should be genuinely independent and not take a penny of uh, public money. Oh, uh, look, I this, think... This is really the problem. I think that's the fundamental issue here, Jean. I think that is what is at the core. Often here on The Dogs we say the state funding of specific cultural and religious institutions which are then put into their own educational groupings where they never move out of it. So if you have a private school, it could be Catholic, it could be Calithumpian, it could be Exclusive Brethren, it could be Scientology, it could be Muslim. If you put those children together and you tell them that all other children that aren't part of their group are not the same as them, then you have social problems into the future. You just do. It's the way you create social problems. If you wished to create a divided society, what you would do is you'd take the children from the ages of three and you would separate them out. You'd separate them out on the basis of things like religion. You'd separate them on the basis of things like the colour of their skin. And you'd separate them out, and when you put them together in adulthood, you would expect them to dislike each other. You would expect them to distrust each other because that is what they had been taught. And I think Christopher Pine's basic strategic mistake in coming into this situation is he's saying, oh, you can't be doing that. That's wrong. And I agree with him. I actually agree with Christopher Pine. A principal of a school should not go around and tell, people, tell his students that all Jews are evil. Yes, but we've got it. Christopher got Pine it. is right to say. But, but as taxpayers, we've got a further problem because Mr Christopher Pine is now giving these schools extra money to have guards at their front gate to protect them. Uh, First of all, we are funding schools which are setting children against each other and then we are being asked to fund guards that prevent um, violent activity. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Now, in that particular school which was treating non-Muslim teachers, non-Muslim teachers, as as, as, as second-class members of their school community... That, that school actually receives $11.2 million in federal government funding. So Mr Pine actually is paying the piper there. It also receives $4.7 million from the state government, and this is all according to the My School website. It's also worth pointing out that in 2005, the Sunday Age reported that a visiting imam, not 
it was a priest in the Catholic school that was going around saying godly people shouldn't walk around at night. But a visiting imam at Al-Takwa College in 2005 said that Jews were putting poison in bananas and that students shouldn't eat them. Now, this person is working in, a, in essentially a taxpayer-funded organisation. And I think Jean is absolutely right. If you want to go home and tell your children who is right and who is wrong and who is an other and who is us, quite frankly, that is your democratic right. I mean, at a certain point, Mr Brandis has a point. You do in your own home have a right to be a bigot. But if it comes to taxpayers' funding of a school... Now, Al-Takwa College is like every private religious-based school in Australia. You ask non-Catholic schools in Catholic schools what their chances of promotion are. It's much the same. Um, It's the same if you have a school being publicly funded, which is there not for a public but for a private purpose. I think it is the principle that is um, at issue here, not the particular religious group. And that is exactly why I think Christopher Pine's made a strategic mistake, because he's waded in and he's implied that he's very upset about bad religions and bad schools teaching bad religions, saying bad things and doing bad things. What's good religion? But exactly the point. If he's going to jump up and down about Al-Takwa College, he has to jump up and down about every Every religious organisation which promulgates the idea that they are right and others are wrong and that their laws, call it canon law or call it Sharia law or call it the law of Scientology, I'm sure they have a name for it, I'm not quite sure what it is. Any school that teaches that that law has primacy over common law, over over, over the civilised laws of a democratic country like Australia, any organisation that does that should not receive a cent of government funding under any circumstances. Your real problem is that unfortunately religious men take upon themselves to play God. And that is a very dangerous Some thing. do, yep. some do not. Some yep. do and some do not. And Al Takwa, I think there's a few men who have a religious bent who are certainly principals of religious schools that do need to have a please explain. But if they need to have a please explain, why doesn't every other religious privately, not privately run, but publicly funded organisation in Australia? It gets to the fundamental issue of social cohesion, which is what we've always said here at The Dogs. The basis and strength of a strong public system is that it is almost impossible for a child in a public school where people come from all over, where the public school cannot refuse you because of your religion. A public school cannot refuse a student based upon the way they look or or their their test scores or or the income of their parents. Public schools don't want to because they, they are the best schools. They have the best values. If you put children together in that situation, it's almost impossible for you to tell that child, oh, no, we don't like them, all of them, because they are this, because that child will have an experience of people from different cultures and different ages and different genders and different places, and they go, well, not really, because some of my people that I know are from there, and they're not like what you say. The public education system is our greatest hope for social cohesion. I mean, people talk about social... No, it's the greatest hope for a nation that can be happy with itself and not divided. If you want to divide up a nation within itself, just separate the children out, which is exactly what's happening, I think, in a vast number of public schools around Australia. And it seems that Al-Takwa have been caught out. But just because they've been caught out doesn't mean that they haven't been doing it for ages or won't continue to, and it doesn't mean that other schools, which have very strong religious basis for their existence, aren't doing it as well. 
Well, I, I, I think Christopher Pine's made a mistake because he is not the judge of a good religion or a bad religion. He cannot possibly be. He cannot take away the funding from Muslim schools and give it to other religious schools because that's not the way the system works. You should go back and read a bit of Henry Parks and the 19th century educational um, people who sit there and said, well, if you're going to educate one particular religion and separate them out, you've got to do it for all of them. And there's, quite frankly, too many. So let's save some money and just not fund religious educational systems at all. Well, just I've got a good news story here. Oh, good. Thank you, Jean. Um, I've got it. It goes back a bit, but it's a, it's a question of, of a school that has actually been doing something with its children. Uh, and it's at Hearn Hill Primary School, where every student in grade three to six at the Geelong School has their own iPad, which is loaded with animated numeracy and literacy apps. The principal, Danny, Danny Kelly, said that the iPads engaged students and had helped to improve the school's NAPLAN results, which will be released on Thursday. Uh, how many of us know uh, small children that are walking around with their own iPads these days? I know that my grandson is pretty pretty nifty with his. But um, this school admits that it certainly stimulates their learning if they have good apps. The school recorded above-average improvements in reading and numeracy according to the Australian Curriculum Assessment and Reporting Authority. But Mr Kelly said that the teachers were the main driver behind the school's success in the National Literacy and Numeracy Test. So listeners, I'll read that again. The children might have their iPads, but you cannot replace personal contact. Mr Kelly, the principal, said that teachers were the main driver behind the school's success in the National Literacy and Numeracy Test. After analysing its 2013 NAPLAN results, the school decided it needed to improve the way writing and spelling was taught and they organised a series of professional development days for teachers. The school has since adopted a talk before you write approach to literacy where students discuss their work before putting pen to paper or even typing. And about two-thirds of families at the school are classified as low income and they received the education maintenance allowance before it was abolished last year. Year 5 students at Hearn Hill had higher than average results in grammar numeracy and reading than nearby other government schools in the Geelong re uh, region, according to the My School data. It was also one of 59 high-gain schools in Victoria and one of 25 outside the metropolitan region that ACARA highlighted before the release of NAPLAN results on the federal government's My School website. Now, this website is used, as we know, to compare schools and details the demographics and finances of more than 9,500 Australian schools. And it's actually a mine of information, so long as it's kept up to date. So I thought that you would like that, um, like to hear that. I thought that was a rather nice story. And I was particularly interested that Mr Kelly said that teachers were the main driver. You can have all the computers in the world um, 
and you can have your your Facebook and your Twitters and what have you. But at the end of the day, there's actually no replacement for a smiling face and somebody uh, interacting with you, particularly if you're a child at school. Very interesting, Jane. It's nice to have good, good news after all those things happening in Chile, happening here in Australia, and Christopher Pines wading into some sort of religio debate. I hope that goes well um, for all the students concerned, um, certainly in the Islamic colleges and, of course, at Hearn Hill down there. I'm having a lovely time. You've well, been I, listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR. I'd love to see those, those children from that Islamic college in our local state schools. We have them in North Melbourne, and uh, they come up from, from all over. And it's lovely to see little girls in their hijabs and so on playing sport in the playground. But that's enough for today. These schools, our public schools, are worth fighting for. They are still there. They might be underfunded, but we have to fight for that. And um, they are still doing a wonderful job. So here we are on the dogs. We hope that we'll be with you again next week. Well, we'll be here, but we hope you'll be there listening to us. For the moment, it's bye for now. If you're interested in anything to do with the Dogs Program, please contact us and have a look at the press releases and have a listen to what we're talking about and the research that we've done on our website, which is www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. But from myself and Jean and Dale, it's bye until next week.
was I but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. Oh. Uh-huh.